On the block, on demand. They don't know about the Kumbaya meetings we had this week. I may have some news for you in a moment. Without Jerry McNamara, we would have won 10 games this year. Continue standing by. Okay, not 10. 25-footer, yes! Off the glass and in! An assassin, Stone Cold! Somebody in Vegas told him they were going to win my 20! The Bills make me want to Taylor, going to take a shot, throwing in zone, he's got weapons, touchdown! They didn't look in the group, they didn't look in the champions this is on the block here is your host brent axe ah! here on espn radio 97.7 100.1 ESPN Radio Utica, Rome. What's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you on board. As always, you can listen online. They do have the internet on computers now. ESPNSyracuse.com. The ESPN app is a great way to take us with you wherever you go. Just hop on the ESPN app, download it on your phone, hit the Listen tab, and off you go. Wherever you go, we will go with you. You can also watch the program on Facebook Live. Hello, everybody on Facebook. Just like the ESPN Syracuse Facebook page, and here we are streaming the program on the Facebook. Monday through Friday, this show in the booth, Orange Nation, the Daniel Baldwin Show, all on Facebook Live as well. You just can't get away from us. I think we're still doing uh, the show on Telegraph, too, if I'm not mistaken. You got a fax machine? We can send you the show that way, too. Not really, but, you know. Maybe. 437-7644. Brent Dax Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644. That happened to me last week, by the way. Somebody wanted me to fax them something. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> you, you still have an operating fax machine? That That's incredible. Can you please take a picture of this relic and prove that it still works? Okay. Guest-free Monday, so why don't you be my guest? Can somebody please tell me what a catch is, please? Yes, we will dive into the NFL's latest controversies, plural, after the Steelers game. Not so much in the Cowboys game, as dumb of a rule as that is. It's not generating quite the discussion that the Steelers game is. But after yet another terrific weekend of football for the NFL, what takes the cake? It's like the NFL likes it this way. That instead of talking about a great weekend of football, we have to complain about something even though they got the call right. And I will say, I am not quite as upset about the end of the Steelers game as some other people are, but we will discuss that. We've got the blind side to go on. Seth's got 10 questions for us. We shall answer them. That Doug Marone can coach a little bit. Say all you want about my man and his bologna sandwiches and his dream job and his uh, questionable rap skills. Push me, push, I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. He can coach a little bit, and he's got the Jacksonville Jaguars in the playoffs. And, hey, kids, we're in the hunt. If the season ended today, guess where your Buffalo Bills would be? They'd be facing Jacksonville in a 
dare I do my Jim Mora impression. Playoffs? Playoffs. That's right. Playoffs. We will go through the Bills playoff scenarios and away only we can on this program. And so much more as we go through here on a Friday. Syracuse appears to be losing its offensive coordinator on the football end. Sean Lewis in line to take the Kent State head coaching job. What does that mean, if anything, for Syracuse football? We shall discuss. But, of course, we start with a little Syracuse and Georgetown. And a rivalry, not quite blood on the floor, not quite what it was in the 1980s, like a certain movie that I saw on Thursday night that was born in the late 70s, early 80s, like the Syracuse-Georgetown rivalry, and I really want to talk about at some point, but stick to sports, Brent. Still pretty darn good, though, right? Guys like Patrick and Chris, who came to the league, and Pearl, who came to the league, and our attendance went from 15,000 to 27,000 in one year. That's the difference that Pearl Washington made. I always kid John, Big John liked to come to Syracuse. He loved that game more than anything. He loved it the most when they threw him out, I think. But there's a lot of memories there. You know, I was proud to be part of that. That's Jim Beheim after Syracuse's win over Georgetown. A comeback win on Saturday, down 13 in the second half. Looking like Syracuse was going to lose a game to a team that had played a lineup of St. Sister Mary's and the poor and all her sister schools to that point. But Tyus Battle had other ideas. O'Shea Brissett had other ideas. Frank Howard had other ideas. And the Orange used rebounding and defense and a little bit of three-point shooting, which we had not seen all year, to come back, as Jim Beheim noted, after the game. Let's take a listen. We had to press to keep the tempo up, hoping they miss or we get a steal, and they missed a couple. We got a couple, and then we got a couple steals. You know, we got our offense going. Uh, O'Shea is a very good player. He hasn't shot the ball well, but we know he can shoot it. And he picked a, a real good day to, to shoot it today. And Tyus made some plays. Frank made some really good plays in there. So I thought it was a great comeback effort. Uh, they attacked us the right way. They did everything right. We just got a couple steals on the press and made a couple big shots to get back in it. And then I thought we had a really good chance in, in regulation with that last jump shot. And we got two offensive rebounds. Easy tries around the basket, but uh, we had some momentum going into overtime, and Tyus, he actually was shooting like this early in the year, and he got hurt in the game. He took a bad fall, and he hasn't really shot it well since then. I think he's finally got back. His back is better now. That's the way he shot it in the beginning of the year, so that's not a, not surprising. But it was, a, it was a good win, come from behind, great crowd. It was a lot like it used to be. Just there wasn't any blood on the floor. <laughs> There's the line right there. Yeah, not quite blood on the floor and punches being thrown and coaches getting thrown out, but a good basketball game and a good environment. And to their credit at Georgetown, that crowd was into it. There were certainly a lot of Syracuse fans there to help that along. And Syracuse snapped a losing streak to the Hoyas. And next year's fourth game in the series takes on intrigue. And maybe, just maybe, we'll renew this thing going forward. You know, I've made the comparison to Syracuse-Georgetown of the Star Wars saga. They've already announced, based on what Ryan Johnson did with The Last Jedi, which, again, is very debatable in the mind of this Star Wars fan. But they've already announced that there's a whole new trilogy that he's going to do beyond this trilogy. Did Saturday's game, and just the fact that you put these two on a floor and good things will happen, entertaining things will happen, well, not what it used to be, still worth watching. Did that 
justify, okay, we got to keep this going. This is something we need to see every year. This is a rivalry, well, again, not quite the same, still something that should be on the schedule year in and year out. Look, I've made my opinion known on this, and my opinion has not changed. I'm kind of over it. If they decided tomorrow it's over, I'd be satisfied with that. But I'm just one voice and one person. People clearly like the fact that these two teams still play. I think it's good to introduce a new generation to it while they need their own moments, and perhaps that's what we got on Saturday. These guys were digging it. They were into it. They knew what was on the line. And you heard Beheim mention how good Battle's been shooting since that back injury has really subsided. Battle has just been big when it matters most. He has been big in the clutch. He has been biggest for the Orange in the big moments. And I can just say that, and you'll shake your head and say yes, or I can back that up a little bit. In his Syracuse career, and thanks to our friend Jason Murray at Syracuse.com for putting together these numbers, Battle is 12 for 23, 52% from the field, 5 for 9 from the three-point line, and 9 for 11 from the free-throw line in situations that are defined as clutch. As laid out by Jason, he wrote a whole post about this on Syracuse.com that you can read. It's a small sample size, but his shooting numbers are better in clutch situations than his overall numbers. And we got to halftime, and while Battle had 11 points and really kept Syracuse above water, and what was a dreadful first half of basketball, those moments tend to get swept aside when you have such a great kind of midway point of the second half on, and of course the game goes to overtime. It was a dreadful first half of basketball. Neither team could shoot the ball. The offense was not flowing. At one point, with like eight minutes to go, it's 11 to 10. And, you know, it's it's rain dance time. It is Philip Seymour Hoffman and along came Polly playing basketball and everything's hitting the backboard. Rain dance! It was awful. And then, as tends to happen in these things, the game got better and it improved and a rivalry took over and, and off we went. So battle was huge, but listen, what we are starting to see before our very eyes is a star being not only born but developing, and that star is O'Shea Brissett. And I believe we have both Tyus Battle and O'Shea Brissett on the confidence that this team showed, even down 13 points in that second half. All these wins are just giving us more and more confidence and basketball experience. It was, it was the first game we had to really come back like that against a good Georgetown team and we're away. So um, um, we, I, think, I thought we played with a lot of heart. We know that we can do a lot of things that people don't think we can do. we great on defense and we're great on offense. So we know that it's just in due time it's going to come. That's O'Shea Brissett. You heard Tyus battle first. This is Frank Howard on how this team or on he, pardon me, had to learn to be a point guard. He had some big point guard moments in this game. You know, growing up, I always had the talent, you know, to, to handle the ball, you know, make decisions up top. But, you know, I had to learn how to be a point guard. And, you know, I had to learn how to lead and through emotional times and adversity, you know, how to how to get what I need from, from each guy, you know what I mean? And, you know, just being intact with the whole offense and defense and, uh, you know, just kind of be that coach on the floor. Just going to keep fighting, you know what I mean? And, uh that's been something I worked on a lot, you know, just studying the game. So what has been the difference with Frank Howard this year versus last? And this is something that Jim Beheim has said on this show 
and you've seen it, and frankly, he doesn't have a choice here to let Frank Howard do this given the shortage of guards on this team, but this is the difference. He's had a couple games where he's made some bad mistakes, but he's played through it, and that's the difference this year. He's He, he played through it. The difference is he has to play through those mistakes because last year those mistakes got him pulled off the floor. You had other options, you had better options at guard, and the tolerance level was lower there. But look, he made those great drives to the basket. The biggest play, of course, was the steal and the layup the other way. That was the backbreaker. You know, Georgetown had lost the lead, and now it's just a back-and-forth game, and they could have snuck one in there at the end and won at home. But the backbreaker was when Frank Howard stole the ball and went the other way. That was set up by his – he had three really aggressive drives to the hoop in that second half. He had nine assists in that game, and, you know, to see him do that, your three biggest players were huge. Tyus Battle had 29 points. He made eight shots in that entire basketball game. He was eight for 23. Six of, of those eight were three-point shots. For O'Shea Brissett to go from one point at halftime, one point, 0 for 3, to 25 points and 14 rebounds overall, yet another double-double tells you how aggressive he got in the second half. And, you know, we continue to see Syracuse get a little zone defense thrown at them, and it just goes to show you, you can practice something every day, and that's your identity, but, you know, it's like Superman. Superman knows kryptonite is his kryptonite, but, you know, kryptonite works on Superman. It's amazing how the zone defense kind of works on the orange. You still need to have the patience to get through it, the talent that has to shoot around it, and, again, that word comes to mind, patience. you got to break it down. you got to be aggressive. You've got to find your way. One of the great things about the zone is if you don't have the patience to play against it, it will frustrate you mentally and take you out. We played that clip from Bayheim. Syracuse had to go to the press a little bit more than probably they would want to, but that's why they practice it every day because you get in these spots, you've got to change tempo, and you've got to go several possessions in it. So the Orange got a non-conference win that they needed. They avoided what would have been a bad non-conference loss given Georgetown's strength of schedule, their RPI ranking. I think we've learned that while the rivalry is not the same, it's a pleasure to see it on the schedule year in and year out. This is a perfect time of the year to do it. Smack dab in the middle of December. I don't know if it'll always get scheduled this way, but it seems to be a good spot for it. It was the year before this. And on Saturday, it's not quite what it used to be, but still worth doing. Not just for old time's sake, not just so CBS can empty the vault of all the great moments. It's a great non-conference test. Not that Buffalo does not provide that tomorrow, and they do. And if you want to go see that Syracuse-Buffalo game, I would not stray far, my friends, because I've got four tickets. I'm going to show our friends on Facebook Live. See that? Four tickets to tomorrow night's game, which we will be giving away here. All I'm saying is don't stray far, my friends. St. Bonaventure on Friday is the same thing. These are good, meaty, non-conference tests. For the Orange, that's what they need. Can you test yourself too much before going into ACC play? Well, I think we've learned in recent years the answer to that is no. Because the committee will reward you if you challenge yourself, even if you lose a couple of those games. You can't lose all of them. and You can't lose on the road like Syracuse did last year, and that was another key thing. True road game, got it in their back pocket. Now, you can essentially, if you take care of business, you've got three non-conference games left. That's it. That's it. ACC play starts on New Year's Eve, kids. It's going to be here before you know it. Buffalo tomorrow, St. Bonaventure Friday, 
the Rob Murphy Bowl next week with Eastern Michigan, and then welcome to the ACC. And what we are seeing is a team that is progressing at exactly the rate that they need to to be ready as much as they can for ACC play because it felt last year that they weren't because of the non-conference games that they lost. So we will discuss that more as we go along here. You're certainly welcome to join in at 437-7644. The on-the-block text line is 288-0644. Of course, you can reach me on Twitter as well, Brent Axe Media. I want to get into this football stuff next and why it seems every Monday we're talking about officials. Is it time for the National Football League in the offseason to just throw out the book and start over? Or are we overreacting? I will ask that question, discuss it, get into the football weekend, and give you the Bills playoff scenario as only this show can coming up next. But I am first going to take caller number five right now. Caller number five at 437-7644. Guess where you're going? The Carrier Dome. Tomorrow night, Syracuse, Buffalo, non-conference action. Can you feel the excitement? You'll be there courtesy of your friends here on the block. Caller five at 437 7644. I've got four tickets for you. Four tickets to go to Syracuse Buffalo tomorrow night at the Carrier Dome. Back after this. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Prescott quarterback sneak, and I believe he got it. See where they mark it? Yeah, I think That's he got no, it. Pushing between the center and the left guard. It looked to me like he had it. Now let's see where they spot this ball, Brad. First down, down. Wow. They put a piece of paper wow. between the nose of the ball and the chain stick. I've never seen him do that. He put a piece of paper down on the field in between the nose of the ball and the <laughs> stick to see how much room there was. Not something that Gene Steratore, the official in that Cowboys-Raiders game, was technically supposed to do. He did it anyway, and we've got more referee controversies. Just what we all love to talk about on a Monday after a great weekend of football and a weekend in which your Buffalo Bills... If the season ended today, that's right, kids. January football. But they got a ways to go here, and they've got to uh, keep winning here. And we'll go over that playoff scenario here in a moment. But as Mike Tomlin notes here, we're here on a Monday talking about officials again. You know, I I don't have HD and all of that stuff, so it's really irrelevant how I feel about it, to be honest with you. It's not going to change the outcome of the game. I'm not going to cry over spilt milk and all of that crap and talk about replay. I ain't doing it. Do you have a problem with Ben going for it in that situation? No. No, man. We play and play to win. That's what we do. I completely agree with Mike Tomlin there, by the way. I thought it was great that they faked the spike, tried to go for the win there. I mean, you're in that scenario. You've got momentum. Why not? Why not try and throw off the New England Patriots? It didn't work. And it seems the Patriots seem to really excel at these goal line interceptions in big-time situations. So maybe it wasn't such a smart idea in some senses, but I don't mind the fake spike, but there was clearly a miscommunication between the sideline and Roethlisberger. That's what's amazing to me about the Steelers is they're such a good team, but they're such a mess, too. But what's a mess is what's a catch. Do you know what a catch is? Does anybody know what a catch is? Can somebody please identify for me what exactly a catch is? Now, to the human eye, to watching a football play, use the bar test. You're watching that game in a bar. You know, it's half people screaming, half you've got the sound on, and you just see the play. That's a touchdown. 
If a running back, all he has to do is leap over the line and the football merely has to break the plane and then he can bring the football back and that's a touchdown. What the Steelers did, by that definition, should be a touchdown. But it's not that simple. The rule is actually pretty pretty clearly laid out. It's just that people don't like the rule. And you are fine to not like the rule. The problem that the NFL has here is this is a catch, but that's not a catch, and they just make it overly complex. But the problem is that rule was rewritten after an outcry a few years ago. Now we've got to do that rule over again, and you've got a referee doing something we've never seen before putting a piece of paper in there. to And by the way, what is Gene Steratore trying to do there? He's trying to make sure he got the call right. He's trying to ensure that they're giving away a proper first down. And it is amazing that we have replay and we have all this technology and everything available to us, and they still can't figure this stuff out. If anything, it complicates the matter. Going to replay and watching that catch by the Steelers over and over and over again. You see the ball come out. It actually verified what the rule says. You cannot let the ground, you know, you've got to survive the ground, which sounds stupid, but that's the rule. The rule says once you are going to the ground, everything changes. Should it have been a catch? Should it have been, look, the guy got the ball across the goal line, touchdown Steelers. Let's keep this simple. I can't really disagree with that. But at, at least this is not a scenario where they botched it and the refs got it wrong and they went to replay and they watched it five times and Tony Romo and Jim Nance are screaming on CBS about how that's a touchdown and Steeler fans are waiting on edge and they come out there and they botched it. They actually got it right. That's what the rule says. You can you can hate the rule, but what clearly is in play here because this is yet another week. This is just add it to the list where we are talking about officials deciding a game in a way that we probably do not want them to. And it's always just one or two plays that take command here. For the most part, and I can't put a number on it, but it's over 90%. They actually do their job and get it right. This was the right call by definition, by rule. It doesn't change the fact that the NFL and its perception is being hit hard by this. I mean, anthem protests and all that stuff, that has come and gone, right? That's over. The new hotness in the NFL to hate is, but it's been something we've hated for years and something they've changed the rule for every year. And what do we cry for? More replay. We got more replay. And they kept botching calls and kept screwing it up. And every Monday we'd come to this point. We got to do this over. Well, they, they got to get full time refs. And they gave us full time refs. Well, well, what now? Do you just throw the thing all over? Do you go back in time? Do you get rid of replay? They tried that once, had replay, got rid of it, brought it back. You don't want robots out there calling these things because, and they do have technology. That can You can put chips in the football and chips on the field to determine exactly the placement of the ball. The old chain gang, I mean, the chain gang dates back to the 1930s. It's an outdated concept. And with half and with uh, fast-paced offenses these days, pardon me, they can't even keep pace anymore. So it's a matter of we've got to accept as fans, as frustrating as it is, and there's a lot of Steeler fans in this area that are going to roll my eyes 
roll your eyes, pardon me, at me saying this, but there's a lot of human beings out there doing human being things, and the game's inherently flawed. Let's see what Joe has to say on the phones at 437-7644. What's happening, Joe? Oh, I'm sorry, Joe. Hey, there you are, man. Uh, I, wanted to call, I wanted to call and say, like, so obviously as a Steeler fan that I am, um, I'm really upset about how the game ended. Um, more so than the call, um, it's more so it's an argument for another day, but it, it, this goes down to another miscommunication between Ben and Todd Haley. You know, Todd Haley telling him not to spike the ball, to throw a play. Ben gets in a scramble when we have plenty of time left. People are mad at Ben for throwing that ball, but listen, people don't understand if Ben doesn't throw that ball, he throws the ball away, it could be a 10-second runoff. Correct. Correct. So he was in a scramble mode, and he did what Ben has always done, and he tries to make a play out of something. That's what makes the guy great. Joe, it just seems like even after how how long have they been together now, they still are not on the same page. Him and Todd Haley just have never seemed to to get this thing right, and I wonder if Mike Tomlin is going to do something about that. Yeah, I mean, it was 2011 when he came over from the Chiefs, and Ben, you know, Ben has lately, I, it's coming towards the end of his career, you know, he's just sick of the crap. He's sick of Tomlin letting players get away with stuff, and he came out last night again, and he's not holding back. He said, I was specifically told by my coaching staff not to spike the ball. I wanted to spike the ball, clock it, kick the field, take a, take a shot on a goal line fade. You know, if it doesn't work out, we kick the field goal, we live to play another day. And that's what should have happened. But the issue at hand that you're discussing, and I don't want to take up, I could talk to you for hours about how the Steelers are and all this stuff, but the way, the thing that, that makes me mad is, listen, by the letter of the law, yes, that was the right call, but it's not, an, it's not, everyone says they've been consistent, and they have not been consistent with this call, because back in, I think it was week three or week four, there was a game, Patriots versus Texans, and Brandon Cooks caught the game-winning touchdown in the back of the end zone, Brady threw it to the corner of the end zone, Brandon Cooks had to jump in the air to catch the ball. Brandon Cooks was not on his feet. People are, are saying that he caught the ball with two feet in bounds. He had to jump off the ground in the end zone to make the catch. Then he lands two feet in bounds. He hits the ground, and the ball comes out of his hand. The referee still called it a touchdown and still called it a good catch. I don't understand there. People are saying that, that Jesse James was never st- stood still. As soon as he caught the ball, he was falling to the ground and reached for the, for the, for the goal line. The same exact thing happened with Cook. So does it matter that he was already in the end zone, that the ball didn't hit, you know, the goal line, and that's why they had to continue it on, and they, they had to make it a call of an incomplete pass? I just, the, the rule is, they, everyone says that the rule is the rule. I understand that, and it does need to change. But the issue at hand is, this year it's happened four or five times. That's right. In game-winning situations, and three out of the five times it's been called incomplete. And the rules are different in the end zone than they are on the field, you know, in between end zones. And thanks for the call and the thoughts, Joe. And it's just confusing for everybody. And, you know, Luke on Twitter says, Brent, I'm going full-blown old man on the porch. It's time to stop using replay as an officiating tool. You can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. You can't just scrap replay. You really want to depend more on these officials that have been as inconsistent as Joe just pointed out there? I mean, maybe that is the answer. Because the reason they're not making the calls with the, you know, how can I put this? As quickly as they should is because they know that replay is looming. And they can always just go to the replay. They're not doing it with the authority and the quickness and the confidence maybe that they should because 
Well, they're just going to look at the replay anyway, right? They got Sterator breaking out the paper last night. If anything, the NFL, baby. Just when you think you've seen it all, we extend that road a little bit longer. Now, before we take a break and get into some hot takes, we can certainly uh, continue to discuss this. Actually, I'm going to save uh, this for hot takes. I'm going to save the uh, Bills playoff scenarios for hot takes. We'll go over some more things from the weekend in the NFL. It's just scratching the surface. There was some great football. There was some interesting actual on-the-field play, but this stuff just always gets brushed aside by things you wouldn't think football fans would want to spend a lot of time talking about, rules and what is a catch and replay and analysis of, you know, the NFL's thick rule book. But it just brings up things that at least are, at the very least, interesting for sports talk radio, right? Let me see if I can get a phone call or two in here before we take a break, then we'll go over some more things in hot takes. Steven Norris, Syracuse, on the block here at 437-7644. Hey, Steve. Well, like everybody else, uh, I've been uh, engaged in various conversations and debates over this uh, this play, and the, the prevailing interpretation seems to me that uh, we're, we're mad at the rule, but the, uh, but the uh, rule was properly applied. Uh, as I look at the rule, it reads, if a player goes to the ground in the act of catching a pass uh, with or without contact by an opponent, he must maintain control of the ball until after his initial contact with the ground, whether in the field of play or the end zone, if he loses control of the ball and the ball touches the ground before he regains control, the pass is incomplete. Uh, now, it seems to me his initial contact is when his knee goes down. And he, he retains control after that. And after that, he's like, uh, what was his name? Kevin Dyson in the Super Bowl <laughs> was trying yeah. to reach for the, the goal line with two, two differences. One, Dyson had already been uh, down by contact. And two, Dyson couldn't reach the, the goal line. Yeah, but, sure. But, 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 but this guy, uh, and remember, the Steelers had no timeouts. So uh, he had not been touched. So he turned to break the plane of the goal line with the ball after his knee was down, and he did break the plane, and then his elbow touches, and he still got control of the ball. And then he only loses control of the ball in the end zone when his hands hit the ground. Now, why isn't the initial contact his knee going down? The way I heard Mike Pereira, the NFL officiating guru who works for Fox, describe it, Steve, is... The rule states that you have to, as the referee explained on the field as well, and thanks for the call as always, you cannot let, you have, you know, you have to survive the ground. And he didn't survive the ground. And that's the rule they're going with, which is different than how it would be on the field and different than the Brandon Cooks play as another caller brought up. And that's where people get frustrated. But where you're right and other people that have common sense are right, look, nobody touched him. The ball went across the goal line. Then when the ball at the ground, it came out. But haven't we kind of demonstrated he got across the goal line and scored a touchdown? Why in that moment, why there is it that the ground, in essence, can cause the fumble? It's not a fumble. It's an incomplete pass. But you get what I'm saying. When will then be now? Soon. I mean, it's just fans want consistency. We have access to this stuff. We can watch it over and over again, not only on television replay, but now on social media. And we can look up rules and have them out there and spreading in five minutes. 
It used to be nobody knew what the rules. We had to rely on the officials. Now we know the rules better than they do. On that note, we'll break. We've got some hot takes to come, including uh, the Buffalo Bills playoff scenarios. That's right, I said it, P-word, playoffs, as only we can do. We'll talk some more Syracuse hoops, certainly with the Orange defeating Georgetown, the blind side on the way. We've got a lot more to do here on this Monday edition on the block. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye.